welcome back to another episode of Horror, Wine, and Crime with us, KK and Lo. <laughs> Hello, Lo. How you doing? I'm doing really good because I'm so excited for you guys to hear today's episode. It's a really important, I mean, just incredible story, and I am so excited for you all to hear it. We did a little something different instead of me and Kay telling the story. This one is coming from the survivor herself. And you're going to hear it very um, truthful, honest, raw, coming straight from her. Tina was so kind enough to invite us to her house and sit down with us and let us record why she told her story. We didn't really do it straight up interview style. So when you listen to it, you're going to notice that it's a lot of Tina talking. We didn't want to interrupt. She was in her feelings and we just let it flow. Yeah, definitely. This was Tina's story to tell and just we commend her bravery and openness to sit down with us allow us into her home um so we genuinely appreciate that but yeah today uh is going to be part one of a three-part uh series i guess of the tina renee talbot story um we sit down with tina who like lo said is a domestic abuse survivor and she goes on to tell us about her story, about what happened. Um, she was in a horrible, abusive relationship physically and emotionally with her husband Milo for decades. So as we sat down with Tina, she opens up and tells us about this truly torturous marriage and just all of the gruesome details that she had to endure that led up to the day that she had to make that fateful decision to ultimately protect her and her son's lives. We just want to put a small disclaimer out as well. Tina was kind enough to invite us into her home with her and her son. Her best friend Michelle was there. And you're going to hear some noises in the background. They're not through the whole thing. There's just small parts of it. Her son, Philip, is autistic and he is nonverbal. So he cannot understand enough to say, hey, I need this. So Michelle was very kind enough to help him whenever he needed it. So if you hear maybe some beepings of a microwave or a little whisper in the background, it's just because they're trying to help take care of sweet Philip as well. Also, throughout the story, you're going to hear Tina talk and you may hear her kind of laugh. We just want to be super 100% clear that neither me, Crystal, or Tina find anything funny about this story. It is not to be taken lightly. It's one of those things where if you do not laugh, you're going to cry. The laughter kind of comes out a little bit more as a nervous tick. 
Okay, now we are going to jump into our conversation that we had with Tina, let her take over and tell you guys about her story. All right, so now we're here with Tina. She has her best friend Michelle with us as well. Um, so Tina and Michelle, thank you guys both so much for joining us. Um, Tina, especially, you know, thank you for coming and being brave and opening up to share your story and help other people, you know, kind of like shed the light on the situation and everything. We really appreciate you taking the time to talk to us. Well, thank you for allowing me to share my story, you know, from me personally, um, rather than through the media and the newspapers and stuff. So yeah, definitely. We, that's definitely important to us. We want like your perspective, your view, just, we want to get to know you, you know, everything like that, because we just, you know, want to share your story the best way for you and to help others. So, okay. Like you said earlier, if we can help one other person get through it, then we did something good. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Definitely. Yeah. So, um, I guess before we kind of like talk about everything, just do you want to like go back, kind of like talk about things you like to do, just some stuff about yourself so we can kind of like get to know you a little bit. Mm. Like, did you grow up around here? Things I like did. That? I grew up in Union Lake. I went through Wild Lake schools. Okay. So. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I went through Wild Lake schools. I graduated from um, Central in 1985 which kind of tells you my age um and the year after i graduated we moved to clarkston so i'm the oldest of three girls and um, then there was my sister becky and my sister beth so they went through clarkston schools by then i was already graduated uh i worked a series of jobs uh, started out at little caesars when i was 16 worked there for like five years um, loved it, you know, loved making pizzas and it was a good job. Yeah, it was a good job at the time. Who doesn't like pizza? Right? Oh my God. Did you get discounts? No, I got free pizzas, oh, which was even, even better. better. And my parents loved it. You know, mom's like, I wouldn't have to make dinner tonight. Yeah, exactly. I remember so. being a little excited to go to Caesarland. I don't know if you guys had them Oh here, yeah. But where I grew up, they had, it was like a it's competition crazy. to Chuck E. Cheese. Oh, I did not. But even it had know like the little thing. rides, and it had the arcade, and it had the. Oh, do we do we have that? I don't. Yeah, I've seen a Caesar one. Oh. Yeah, I've never heard of that. Yeah, it was just kind of a competition to Chuck E. Cheese at the time. Oh, that's okay. quite cool. Yeah, I didn't know anything about that. Yeah, now it's a Pet Supply Plus. <laughs> <laughs> it is. It's over on Dixie. There was one on Dixie. I went to. You know, community college when I got out of high school and, you know, spent a couple of years doing art over there. Um, I'm an artist, so I like to draw and paint and pretty much any medium, you know, ink. Uh, I like to stipple, you know. So I've been doing Please, art my whole so life. She is an amazing, unbelievable artist. Oh, thank okay. you. Unbelievable. We'll have to see some stuff. Yes. She's done many things for me. One of is my mother. Yes. Oh, nice. So I've been doing art my whole life, and I come from a family of artists, so I kind of got blessed that way. Okay. And this is Philip. <laughs> you can hear him in the background. So, 
Yes, that's my boy. So yeah, I did. I did my art. Um, then my sister graduated from high school, and at that point, my dad's like, "Hey, you guys want to go to college?" And I kind of felt like I was maybe a little old to go away to college, but it would have been cool to go away and go with my sister, and we were gonna room together. And so we ended up going away in ninety ninety one to Hope College in Holland. Okay. And then we transferred the following year to Calvin College in Grand Rapids. Oh, nice. And yeah, so that's where we spent our, I spent almost five years at Calvin because I went into teaching. Oh, okay. I was, yeah. Nice. I was going to be an art teacher um, with a minor in history because I love history. Love it, love it, love it. And, uh, and I love art. So I had a hard time deciding between the two. So I ended up majoring in art history and minoring um, majoring in art and minoring in history. So, and I, that's where I met Milo um, when I was away at college. I met him out there in Grand Rapids. Um, we used to go maybe once or twice a week to uh, a club out there. Um, it was college night, and I met him um, one college night, you know, and nothing super exciting you know he just hey can I buy you a drink and we sit down and talk and I was like yeah and I kind of growing up I didn't date a lot you know um I just didn't I had I had like one boyfriend in high school and that was about it so I was very limited as to my exposure um with men and when I met him, he looked older than me. So I thought, okay, this is good. He's older, you know. Um, he bought a drink, so I'm like assuming he's older. And not wise to assume. Uh, he had an accent, and I was trying to place the accent. I'm like, ooh, it's European. I know it's European. And he was just out of the Marines. Oh so, gosh. which oh is another gosh. bad one. It's like, oh, just out of the military. Ooh. You know, so um, we sat and we just had conversation. And, of course, he sat and he, you know, asked me questions and seemed really interested in, like, you know, what I liked and where I went. And, you know, and at the end of the night, he just walked me out to my car and gave me his phone number and said, I'd really like you to call me, you know. And I'm like, okay, you know. Really had no intention on calling him, but... <laughs> Um, actually I went back to my dorm room, talked about my evening with my sisters and, uh, threw the phone number in the garbage, to be quite honest with you. I didn't, I didn't keep it. I threw it in the garbage. And then, um, the next weekend rolled around and I didn't have anything to do. And this tells you how often we emptied our garbage. <laughs> it was still in there. So I pulled it out and, um, I called him and... You know, he's like, hey, you know, you want to meet up? We can walk around the campus, whatever. And I'm like, okay, you know. And so he came over, and we just walked around the campus and talked some more. And he talked about, you know, his military. And um, at one point, though, which should have been a warning, but at the time it wasn't, you know, he, he was – telling me about his time in the military and learning like martial arts and stuff. And he literally like took me and flipped me over, <laughs> which was very unexpected and kind of hurt. But I was like, Oh, okay. You know, I didn't know what to make of that. And I was like, Oh, maybe he's just trying to impress me, you know? And, uh, 
so then at that point it's just we started doing stuff together we went bowling and you know um he took me out to dinners and he was just constantly calling and you know wanting to spend time together and stuff and, and it was nice you know it was nice to be taken out and you know he needed a break from studying or whatever he'd be like okay let's go get something to eat you know let's go walk around the mall um he sent me flowers and stuffed animals and you know which was nice guys didn't buy me stuff you know it's like so i was kind of like hmm this one might be a good one you know and um yeah so that's kind of how that went um I graduated in 95 and I went home because I was going to substitute teach. I still lived with my parents and I was going to substitute teach and we tried the whole long distance thing, you know, and I remember the first time he drove out to see me, he just showed up at my house. I didn't know he was coming and he came up to the door and, you know, rang the doorbell and I'm like, I go to the door and I'm like, holy cow, what are you doing here, you know? And he comes in and he's meeting my parents for the first time and he's kind of, my dad will say that he was kind of arrogant, you know, when he was meeting him. And he didn't like that right off the get-go, you know, meeting him for the first time. And he's like, I drove all the way out here to see you and stuff. I want to spend time with you. And I'm like, okay. And he's like, you know, so let's go do something today. And he's like, and then tomorrow I'll come back. And he's like, and we can do something. My dad was like, well, she's got plans for tomorrow. Like we got family plans, you know, so she's not going to be able to go. And he's like, well, I drove all this way. You know, what do you mean she's not going to be able to go? And my dad's like, maybe you should have called first. Yeah. And yeah. Kind of verified before you did all that. Yeah. So he kind of gave me an ultimatum. He's like, you know, you either come hang out with me since I made this long drive to see you or you go with them. And if you go with them, I'm not going to be happy. Like, I'm leaving, you know? And I'm like, well, I made plans. You know, I'm not going to break my plans. It's kind of gutsy to do in front yeah. of father. Yeah. And he literally walked out the door and, like, squealed off, you know? And my dad, he point blank looked at me and he goes, I don't like him. I don't like him at all. He goes, he's controlling. He goes, if you're not on your best behavior when you're meeting somebody's parents, I'm not impressed, you know. And basically, he said, I don't want you to see him anymore, you know. But you know how you are when you're younger and when your parents tell you, I don't want you to see him. It's like, that's all you want to do, yep. you know. And I'm like, oh, you know, he drove all that way to see me and oh, I feel bad, you know, because I'm always that person. Somebody has a problem with something and I feel bad for it. Like, you know, it's like, oh, I made them feel that way or this or that. Fixer. Yeah, I'm a fixer. And I, I felt bad, you know. It's like, what can I do to make it up to you? You know, and basically it went on like this, you know, him calling me, calling him, going out to see him, um, him occasionally coming out never when my dad was home because he didn't want to deal with him. Um, and then at some point he gave me an ultimatum. He's like, you either move out or we're done, you know? And I'm like, okay, well, I don't know. I just, I was kind of looking for an excuse to get out. And my dad kind of sensed the attitude that I had at that point, you know, 
and he's like, if you can't go by my rules and not see him anymore and you, you know, want to be off on your own, he's like, you can get out. And I said, okay. And that's what I did. I packed up all my stuff. I got a U-Haul and I literally moved everything out. And I went to Grand Rapids where I knew nobody other than him, you know. I mean, I had graduated, and most of the people I graduated with, they were from other states, you know. They came out to Grand Rapids, graduated, and went back to Jersey or, you know, Canada, where they were from. So I went out to Grand Rapids. I didn't have a job. I had savings. I had all my, you know, possessions. I didn't know anybody. So basically for a week, I stayed with him and his family you know, and his mom didn't like me and his siblings didn't really care for me and they would talk a lot of Polish and I'd hear my name. (laughs) So goodness only knows what they were saying. Um, There was a lot of fights. He got in a lot of arguments with his mother. Um, Some of them did get physical, you know, and again, that should have raised warning flags right there. But I was out there by myself, you know, my family had written me off at that point because they're like, well, you chose him over us. We're done with you, you know, and um, and then in my mind, he was sticking up for me. So it's like I was willing to let it slide because, you know, clearly she's saying something negative about me and he's sticking up for me. So in my eyes, that was kind of sweet of him to do, you know. I got an apartment while I was out there. I got a studio apartment, started to go through my savings, putting stuff in the apartment because I had no furniture but a bed. That was about it. And through the course of moving into this apartment and stuff, he was over all the time. And then eventually, it's like he never left. You know, his stuff would start ending up there. And you know, he was just like, his way. Slowly but surely, oh, yes, yeah. he was. Yes, he was. He was looking for an opportunity to get out of his mom's place. And um, he just kind of gravitated in there, you know. And I did find a job because, thankfully, I worked for um, First of America for many years. And so I got a job right away, you know, as a teller. And uh, so I started working at the local um, bank over there. And I could literally walk to work, so which was kind of nice. That is nice. Yeah. So, um, and I was making the best of it, um, considering, you know, I missed my family. I missed them something horrible. But they made it perfectly clear, you know, the few times I did try to call home and stuff that they did not want to talk to me. Does your sister still talk to you or no? <sighs> my youngest sister bless her heart, she also came to Calvin. So she was at Calvin with us the last two years I was there. And um, so when I moved out to Grand Rapids, she was still there. She was at Calvin. So she did talk to me, you know, and she would come over quite often and she needed help with homework and stuff. And so I remember the one time she came over, Milo was working and one of the few times he worked, but he was working at the time, mm. and <laughs> and okay. my sister came over and I was helping her with homework. Well, he showed up and he was not happy that she was there, and he wanted her gone. And I said, "We're doing homework." I said, "I'll take her back when we're done with the homework." You know, I'm like, "What is your problem?" Like, you know, and he's like, "I don't want her here." 
you know, your family's made it perfectly clear that, you know, they don't like me. It's like, I don't want her here. And I'm like, well, she's staying, you know, I'm going to help her with her homework and then I'll take her home. Well, he started pushing me. Like he literally pushed me up against the wall, had me by my throat. And then he threw me down and he started kicking me. Well, it was a studio apartment. So literally it's just one room and a bathroom. And my sister was trying to get him off of me. And he pushed my sister and he pushed her into a bathtub, you know, and um, told her to mind her own business and this was not her problem and, you know, she shouldn't be there. And then he comes over and he starts, you know, kicking me some more and, you know, um, well, somehow, and I don't even know how this happened, my sister and I, we ended up running out of there. We ended up going through the sliding glass door and running out of there. But I didn't grab my keys. So we ran out of there and we like booked it down to the main road down there. And this is back when there were pay phones. <laughs> so I called on the pay phone. I called the police and I said, um, I'd like to report somebody like, you know, beating me up. And she's like, okay, we'll send an officer right over. Well, they sent a female officer and she took my statement and everything. And she's like, okay, I need to see your injuries. I didn't show her my injuries. You know, I was too embarrassed and I was too self-conscious and I was like, I don't want to show you my injuries. And she's like, well, I can't really do anything unless I see what he's done. And I said, but I don't even know if there's any bruising yet or anything, you know? It's like, I don't want to show you. She goes, well, okay, I'll take the report. I'll keep it on file. She says, if you change your mind, call me back. Here's my card, here's the number. I'm like, okay. So, we went back to the apartment and I got a set of my keys because he wasn't there. I got a set of my keys and I'm like, okay, let's go out to the car. I'll take you back to um, the college. So went looking for my car. It was gone. Oh. He had taken it oh my God. and parked it somewhere. Oh my goodness. I was like, where's my car? <laughs> You know, I'm like, so then I call the police back and I'm like, I think my car's been stolen. <laughs> They're like, ah, oh, yeah. So, um, but yeah, he had moved my car. So then he ended up coming back and I'm like, where's my car? He's like, I'm not going to tell you where it's at. He's like, you don't need to know. I said, well, how am I supposed to get my sister back? I was going to take her back. And he's like, I'll take her back. Ooh. And she's like, well, I don't want to go by myself with him. I said, well, I'll go, you know. So he ended up taking her back. That was, that was literally the first time that he had ever gotten that physical. I mean, there'd been a few situations where he like got up in my face and stuff like that, but that was the first time that actually happened, you know? So, um, then my sister, you know, she graduated and she went home, you know, and I was stuck out there with nobody and my one sister um, was going to get married. My middle sister, Becky. And I really, I had heard through the grapevine that she was getting married. And I wanted to go. I wanted to go so bad. And one day when Milo was working, I drove home. I drove home to Clarkston, you know. And I just knocked at the door. And I'm, my dad's like, what are you doing here? You know, and you're not really welcome. And I'm like... I just came because I wanted to say I was sorry. You know, I said, things didn't end up going the way I wanted them to. And it's like, I, you know, I want to apologize and I miss you guys. And 
And I ended up going to my sister's wedding. And my younger sister had just started working for a credit union. And she said, they're hiring. You should come back to Oakland County. Move from Grand Rapids, you know. And I was due to move because my lease was, you know, coming due. And she's like, come back here and work at the credit union. And I had an interview and I did get hired. So I said, okay, let me pack my stuff up. Give me a couple weeks. And I said, and I'll be out there. So um, I packed up all my stuff. I told him I was moving back to Oakland County. I had gotten a job. I was going to get an apartment. And he started yelling and what am I going to do? Where am I going to go? I have no place to go. I said, you have a mother. She still lives in this town. Move back in with her. I'm not moving in with her, you know. And uh, I said, but you have a scholarship. He had a full-blown scholarship to Grand Valley State. It was paid for. I said, go to school. Go to school, you know. Educate yourself. And he's like, I don't want to go, you know. And I went home. And then I wasn't home a week. I'd gotten into an apartment and stuff, and I moved in there, and he showed up. And, well, he called me, and he's like, you know, where are you at, you know? And I'm like, I gave him the address, and he showed up. He had everything, everything in his car. I said, what are you doing here? And he goes, I walked away from my scholarship for you. That's how much I love you, you know? Mm -hmm. And he's like, so... I got kicked out of my house. You got to give me some place to stay. Almost like guilt, guilt tripping you, like trying to manipulate you. Yes, yeah. absolutely. And, and I, gaslighting that. This is your fault. I moved here for you. Yeah. I spent years listening to that. How he never amounted to anything because he didn't go to school. And that was all because of me. You know? And I never asked him to come. Yeah. You know? And I'd always tell him that. I said, I never told you to come. I never told you to leave your scholarship behind you know, to be with me. I said, I was more than prepared to go back home and be on my own and work my job. And, you know, so I was fine with that. And, uh, yeah, so, but at the time I felt bad, you know, he had no place to go and, you know, and he walked away from a scholarship. And so I let him stay. And, uh, yeah, I let him stay. So, and it didn't get any better, you know, even there. I mean, I had gotten a cat. Her name was Robin. And I rescued her from a... There was a sign at the vet's office that they said they had, like, 11 cats they needed to get rid of. It was a hoarding case. And they're like, come and get a cat. So I'm like, oh, I want a cat. I want a cat so bad. Because I had grown up with animals. We always had dogs and cats, you know. And I missed having a cat around the house. So I got a little female. And her name was Robin. She was so stinking cute. She was so, she was so pretty. And uh, she just loved me, you know. And I remember at some point, she started hiding under the couch when he would come home from work, you know. And she started peeing. And I was like, what's, what's wrong with her? Like, why is she afraid of you and stuff? Well, come to find out, he'd been abusing her when I was not home. He was pulling her out from under the couch by her tail, and he'd broken her tail. And when I found out, you know, what he was doing, you know, I started crying. I said, why, why are you hurting my cat? And he goes, because you love her more than me. 
because you treat her better than you treat me. And he's like, I'll hurt anything you love more than me. Oh, my goodness. You know, and I'm, ugh. So I just let her continue to hide from him, you know. And when he was there and I was around, I'd always protect her. You know, I'd always stand between her and him and, you know, make sure that he didn't touch her. Um, but there's only so much you can do when you're working, you know. And then I got another cat. And he was good with that cat because he loved that cat. That was my Siamese Custer, and he loved him. But I was home now, and I still wanted to see my family and stuff. And he kind of put a kibosh to all that. You know, every time I wanted to go, he would give me such a hard time about going. Um, you know, he would constantly call, when are you going to be home? When are you going to be home? You know, he would just literally harass me. Um, anytime I wanted to do stuff with friends, it's like, you don't need to go. Hang out with me. But yet, if you stayed there with him, he didn't want to hang out with you. He didn't want to talk to you. He wanted a game. So it's like he just wanted you in there. He wanted to, to keep an eye on Yes, what to doing. make sure what you were doing, who you were with, what you were saying, what you were talking about. You know, yeah. it's like if somebody would call, he'd always stand there and listen to the conversation. You know, it's like, I mean, it was just, it was I can, stifling. I can always tell the difference when you were talking to me. And, and he was in the room. Yeah. 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 I could tell the difference. Or yeah. when he would call at work, you, you'd be a different Tina. And, you know, I would be harassing you doing something to you. And then he would call and psh, totally different. Yeah. Or even the times he'd come up to oh, work. Oh, yeah. You would be you know, a completely it was just different like, person. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Was it like, a, like an anxiety almost? Just like knowing if he's he ex- like listening or yeah that and you know he expected you to be a certain way or behave a certain way and if you did not behave that way or if you showed any kind of emotion or feeling or joy with anything he was just he was quick to kind of jump on that mm-hmm. so it's like he would kibosh it instantly yeah so it was kind of you know and when I got back and I got in this house even, you know, it's like I had friends from the credit union and stuff and I would do stuff with them and hang out with them. And he stopped all that because he, he would say that he did not like the person I was when I was hanging out with my friends. Well, he's happy. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, well, it's kind of like you were his toy. He didn't want to play with you, but nobody else can play with you either. He just yeah. wanted you to... Sit on a little shelf and look pretty and just, you know. Like true possessiveness. Exactly. And it's funny that you say that because it's so true because he wasn't remotely interested in anything I had to say at that point. You know, everything that I said was stupid. It was worthless. Like, like, why do you even open your mouth? You know, it's like nothing you have to say is remotely interesting. Nothing makes any sense. You know, it's like, you're stupid you know, and so he didn't like what he saw when I was talking to somebody on the phone, like Michelle or something, because it's like my personality would come out, you know, it's like I was me and he didn't like that. He didn't like that at all. Sounds like a lot of jealousy too. Like you are educated, you were creative, you, you know, the painting, you were social, you had friends, you had family that loved you. He had issues between him and his mom. I mean, we don't know what they were, but so it sounds like a lot of it was he was jealous of your life altogether. Yeah. He sounds like he was just very insecure overall and like probably felt like he had control by like 
making sure you were doing exactly what he wanted. Yes, yeah. absolutely. And it just, it was, and that's where I came to a point where it's like, you know, he would cut off this person or cut off that person and say, you know, you can't see them anymore. And at that point, it was escalating so much, like with the violence, the physical violence, that I was just, I would get afraid for them because he would say things like, if you don't stop seeing them, he's like, I have no problem going over there and, you know, doing something, mm -hmm. you know, and making threats. And I was just like, I can't do that to them. I mean, it's not their fault that I wasn't, you know, <laughs> I wasn't the wisest uh, choice maker back well, then, you know. He made it very clear that I could not be around you. It was very clear. He did that with everybody. And he got so bad that like people would kind of drop off the grid that I was friends with. And later they'd say, well, I'm afraid of him, Tina. Like he, he frightens me, you know, it's like, and I just thought I need to stay away because it's like, I don't get good vibes from him. I don't get good vibes from the home and what is possibly going on in there. So I felt pretty abandoned at that point because I had nobody, you know, and I didn't, at that point, my family had written me off again, so <laughs> I wasn't talking to them either, um, and that was safest for them because, of course, he'd start with, uh, well, I know where your mom and dad live, you know, I'm going to hurt your mom and dad, I'm going to go into the credit union where you work, and I'm going to open fire, you know, and it's just like, okay, um, I need to deal with this on my own. At any point, did I ever think I was going to get out of that relationship alive? No, absolutely not. I thought I would die in that relationship. And I thought if he didn't kill me first, that my only choice was to take my own life. That's because scary feeling to sit with every day. Mm -hmm. It was. It was terrifying, you know. And you get to such a low point because it's like you're being told constantly that you're worthless, that you're old, that you're ugly. Nobody wants you. I took you when nobody else wanted you and I made you a better person. And you know, that, I mean, I hate to say this, but I came to a point where I started to believe it. You know, as educated as I was and as many talents as I had, I got to a point where I thought, I'm stupid. Like, I have nothing to give or offer anybody. You know, this is my life. This is my lot, you know. And I was so afraid to leave because, you know, he would start with, uh, well, if you ever leave me, it's like you'll never go far enough away. You'll always be looking over your shoulder. You know, I'll kill your animals. I'll kill your family. I'll kill your friends. I'll, you know, you'll never get away. He's like, you're mine, you know. And I thought... Yeah, I felt pretty hopeless. I was oh. at the bottom. I know? mean, I can't imagine. You probably just feel so, like, trapped in the situation. Because, especially if he's saying these things to you every day, it's only natural for you to, like, start believing them. And then you don't have, like, a lot of people around you. So you yeah. feel like, oh, where am I going to go? Yeah, completely isolated. And yeah. it's like... I had nothing because you come to a point where it's like you aren't even doing the things that interest you anymore. You aren't drawing, you aren't painting, you aren't writing. You're not doing any of that, you know? 
And I literally sat there and worked and then came home and just, you know, listened to him or ran away from him or got beat by him, you know, on a daily basis. And it just beats you down to the point where it's like, you just, I don't know. You are I mean, saying life that seems he would wake you up to make, in the middle of the night, to make unbelievable meals. Oh, yeah. Um, in the middle of the night, just requesting, like... Yes, he was a bodybuilder who went to the gym religiously. And before he went, I had to come home from work and make him something to eat. Then he would take the car. Then he would come home, and I'd have to have it ready again um, for him when he got home. And then he would get the munchies, like, you know, two, three in the morning, and wake me up and tell me to go out and grill him. So I'd have to go out and grill at two o'clock in the morning. Oh my gosh. Um, food for him because he wanted it fresh. So I had to make every meal like that. Like I went through propane after propane after propane because I was out there every day, literally grilling. I had it right outside the back door. <laughs> oh my and it didn't matter the weather. If it was pouring down rain and a thunderstorm, I'm standing out there with an umbrella. <laughs> so as comical as that is now, you know, it's like, and you never said no to him about anything. You'd never say no. You know, it's like he would tell you to do something. And if you questioned it or you hesitated, you were getting hit because you hesitated because clearly you're questioning what I'm telling you to do, you know? And if he told you to do something multiple times and you did not do it properly, then the only way to deal with you is to beat you because you only learn by beating. Clearly, I've asked you twice to do it this way and because you don't do it this way, you didn't learn. So the only way for you to learn is to be beat and then you'll learn because you won't want to be beat again. And that went so far as to which side of the fridge to open. I had to open the right side I remember that. Yes, I had to open the right side and then the left. If I made the mistake of reaching for the left and opening the left side first. Uh. <laughs> oh my gosh. Like you were like a prisoner in yes. your own home just surviving every day. I was. Like on little things like that too. It's just so. Yeah. It's just mind so, games. Yeah. Like, it was. It was constant. It was about the faucet too. You know, at the time I had a different faucet and if I turned it on a certain way, it's like I would get beat for that because I didn't turn it on the way he wanted it turned on. He told me I wasn't allowed to do the laundry. I had a new washer. He said, you're not allowed to touch it because you'll break it. He goes, you're that stupid that you will break it. He goes, so I will do the laundry and you can do the drying and the folding and putting it away. I said, okay, fine. I'll Sometimes it's just easier to agree to it to keep the peace. So I said, okay, fine. Well, I was working. He was unemployed since 2006. He decided to just quit work and not work anymore and sleep all day. So I said, okay, um, I need laundry done because I was working. I was in a professional job where I had to dress up every day, you know, and he would let my clothes pile up. And just pile up, pile up, pile up. And then I remember one time, he let them pile up so bad that I didn't have anything left. And I, he went to the gym, and I threw a load of laundry in. And then I threw it in the dryer. And he comes home, and he noticed the pile was gone. 
and he looks point blank at me. He's like, did you touch that washer? I said, you've gone three weeks without doing my laundry. I said, I needed something to wear to work. Um, <laughs> it did not end well for me. <laughs> Let's just put it that way. <laughs> um, yeah, so, you know, that's how it was around here with everything. Everything. Just so nitpicky on small little things and, like, your basic things yes. that you need for you to go to work while he's just here. Mm-hmm. It's just yeah, impossible. It was impossible. And, you know, he'd force himself on you in a sexual way. Um, you know, I was working. I was working full time. I was tired. You know, I'd come home and I'm trying to put this house together because I had just gotten in here. I did the tiling and everything. And he has you grilling at 2 in the he morning. He has me grilling yeah. at 2 o'clock in the morning. I'm tired, you know. And I said no one time. I never said no again after that. Never. Because he took a belt to me and beat me so bad I was bleeding from like every limb. Um, because you don't say no to him. You know, you just did not say no. You know, so. Um, and it's going to be hard to want to be intimate with someone that treats you that way. It really was. You know, um, he's not really a turn <clears throat> for you right now. No, you know, and he got mad at me because I would literally like lay there and cry. And. Sometimes I would just lay there and take myself to my happy place in my mind because it's like it was just, I just didn't want to be doing what I was doing. And he'd get so mad at me because he's like, why do you just lay there? You know, it's like, Ugh. and I said, because I'm taking myself to a happy place. And I said, and I did not want to do this. I did not want to do this. I said, do you think I really want to do this with you? I said, you're a horrible person. You are so cruel, you know? And he's like, I'm not cruel. I'm just making you into a better person. I'm like, what's wrong with the person that I am? I said, I don't understand. I said, if, if you have a problem with who I am, then why are you with me? Right. And he's like, because my job is to make you a better person. Somebody who I want to be with. There's that manipulation again. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, he's got you so isolated. You're isolated from your yeah. friends, which is your support group. You're isolated from your family, which is a support group. The only time that you were Tina was at work. Mm -hmm. I mean, that was the only time. I was tell, that like your escape? Going I tell work? people all the time. I became a trainer, um, you know, which goes with teaching. And I loved it. I loved it. I met people and it's like I got to train and I did it and I loved it. Well, you're, she's and, actually a social person, so it's very yes. easy for her. And he's not social. At, he was not social at all. Like I'd want to go to parties or I'd want to have people over and stuff. And he's like, at first he would just go sit in his room. And then he forbid it altogether. He's like, I don't want people over here in my house. It's like, I don't want to entertain. You know, so... When I got into the credit union and I was training, I loved it and it was my escape. It was my escape you because it's like, be yourself. I yeah, could be happy. myself. And it's like, and you know, I loved it. And it was never good enough for him. You know, why are you training? You don't make enough money to support us, you know? And I'm like, well, why don't you go get a job? Who's gonna hire me? I walked away from college for you. Nobody's gonna hire me for what, you know, what kind of degree I have. I don't have a degree. And that's all your fault. So now you have to support me. I wish someone would have taken the garbage out for you before you got that number. 
I know, I know, I know, I know. <laughs> and then I found out I was pregnant with Philip at 44. And I remember I stopped and had a blood test done at the doctor's office. And they called me on my way into work. I was working in Wixom at the time at the credit union. And um, she's like, yeah, you're pregnant. And I just started crying. And she's like, are these happy tears or sad? I said, I don't know. <laughs> I said, I couldn't tell you at this point whether they're happy or sad. I said, I just, I don't know. You know, because I was so afraid to bring a child into what was this relationship, this dysfunctional relationship. But I thought maybe it would help. In my own weird way, I thought maybe having a child would help with the situation, make it better. Well, maybe you it's know? probably because he had beat you down emotionally and mentally so far. So, of course, you would think that. I yeah. mean, I can understand where you come, where that would come from. He, and in a way, it would give you something. It would. I didn't have you anything. You know, because you had everything I was torn away. Anything. And that was, that was kind of my thing. I'm like could throw myself into a baby this would be amazing you know and it's a miracle that it's like I'm 44 years old and I'm having a baby you know and my sister had passed away the previous year and she had passed away from brain cancer and she had always told me she's like you would be such a good mom I don't know why you're not a mom and I'm like well to be honest I don't want to have a kid with him at all like I don't you know and she's like, but you'd be such a good mom, you know. And when I found out I was going to have a baby, you know, I could have been like, oh, this was a result of, you know, in an abusive situation. Um, but I didn't. I was like, you know what? This is a blessing. My sister sent me this. I said, my sister sent me this child. I said, bless her heart. You know, she knows that this will help me get through what I've gone through, you know. And I remember I had to go for my first ultrasound, and he was with me. And we were sitting in the waiting room, and he said, I made you an appointment. I said, an appointment for what? He said, for an abortion. You're getting rid of this child. I said, no, I'm not. He said, yes, you are. He goes, I don't want to be a father. I'm not father material. And he's like, I don't want a child. And he goes, and I don't want a child to take my time away from me that you give me. He goes, so you're going to get rid of it. And it was the one time in my life where I stood up and I said, absolutely not. I said, you can do whatever you want to do to me. I said, but I'm not getting rid of this child. And I'm through tears. I'm like, I'm going to go in for my first ultrasound. This is supposed to be a happy occasion. This is not supposed to be and sad. While you're in the waiting room. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so I never made that appointment. I didn't go. Yeah. And I found out with the first ultrasound that he was a boy. And I was so thankful for that. I said, thank God it's not a girl. Thank God. Because Milo was kind of deranged. And I don't know that I would have trusted him around a girl. You know, he was deep into pornography. And he was just... You know, and he even said that himself. He's like, thank goodness it's a boy. He's like, I don't know if I could have trusted myself watching a girl. Oh I'm gosh. like, oh, my God. Yeah. You know, and so 
Philip came along and it was hard because I was off for eight weeks because um, I had a C-section and he didn't do anything with that baby. Nothing. I did it all. I was up with him. I changed him. I bathed him. I fed him. I rocked him. If he made any noise, I had to go out in the garage and pace with him. He was not allowed to cry. He was reflux. Okay, he had gas, something mm -hmm. terrible. So this kid wanted to cry a lot. So let's just put it this way. I spent a lot of time in the garage. Oh. <laughs> and it was, um, there were times it was a little chilly, you know? And because um, he, he wanted to sleep, you know? I work out and I need my sleep and, you know, and so help me every time that child, you know, makes a noise. If you don't quiet that child, I will beat you, you know? And I didn't want to be beat, and I didn't want him to possibly hurt that child. So I would do everything in my power to keep that child quiet. And that child was glued to me. I mean, he slept on me even, you know, because I'm like, don't fuss, don't fuss, don't fuss, you know? And I had to be able to bound up off the couch and like take him into the garage and, you know, but he didn't do anything to help me. I was exhausted. I was a zombie. I was a walking zombie. I went over, my mom and dad found out that I had a baby. And so they wanted to be a part of it. You know, they wanted to see them and stuff. So they came up to the hospital and they took video and stuff. And they came over to the house and they got more video. And, you know, and Milo wouldn't let anybody hold him. He was like, no, no, you're not allowed to hold him. Control. Yeah. Isolation. Yeah. Control. Especially him not Again. being a part of it, like at all helping you whatsoever, but yeah. then being like, nobody else can hold him. Right. Yeah. You know, and then we went to my mom and dad's house and we were sitting out on the deck and um, that's when we had the old pool and um, Philip started fussing and my mom's like, oh, I'll take care of him, you know, and Milo's like, no, Tina's got this. She can sit in the house with him. My dad's like, well, she should be allowed to come out and enjoy being outside. And, you know, we're having a cookout. You know, there's food out here. He's like, no, it's her job. She's in there with the child. She'll take care of him. So I had to sit inside the whole time we were there and um, take care of him. You know, I wasn't allowed back outside at that point. And... Right before I was supposed to go back to work, he said to me, um, you're not going back to work. You have to take the Family Leave Act and get more time. I said, why? He said, because I don't want to watch this child. He's like, you never asked me if I wanted a child. You just had him, and now you're going to stick me with him? Like, I don't want to watch him. I said, he's yours. Like, why wouldn't you want to watch your child? He's like, I don't want any part of it. I don't want to watch him. He goes, so you need to get some time off. I said, no, I'm going back to work because bills don't pay themselves. You don't work, so I need to work. I said, plus, I need insurance. This child, you know, has health insurance under my employment, so I need to go to work. And I remember the day I was supposed to go back to work, he comes running to the door. He has the baby in his arm. He has a gun in his hand. And he says to me, you pull out of this driveway and I will shoot you. 
I said, well, you better shoot them because I'm going to work, you know? And I backed out. I didn't care at that point. I had to get out of there. I yeah. needed a break. I had been watching that kid for eight weeks all by myself. I was sleep deprived. It was terrible. Trying to recover from a C-section. Right. And yeah. adapt to motherhood, oh. mm-hmm. you know. Well, see, it doesn't matter what happens to you because in my house, breaks and broken bones and C-sections, that doesn't excuse you from anything. Like, you're, you're, yeah. I mean, he broke things. He broke my wrist. Um, he broke my tooth off. He did all this stuff. And I remember him saying to me, I'm not going to suffer for you breaking a bone. You're going to continue to do everything just like you are supposed to do. Philip was just little. I was home late from work. He got angry because he had the child longer than what he should have. And he wanted to go to the gym. So I walked in the door. Literally, I walked in the door. He was standing at the sink there. I walked up to him and I said, I'm sorry, traffic was heavy. He had the baby in one hand. He took his foot and he kicked me, like haul off and just kicked. And he had huge legs because he was a bodybuilder. And I went flying and I broke my fall with my wrist and I snapped it. And the bone popped through and it collapsed. And I had to drive myself to emergency because, um, yeah, he would not take me. And... He said, you know, don't you dare tell them that I did this to you. You know, you tell them that you were clumsy and Philip spilled water on the floor and you fell and, you know, and I went to the hospital, um, emergency, and they had to pop it all back into place and I had to schedule a surgery and I had pins put in my wrist and I remember the doctor telling me, he says, don't pick up the baby, you know, have your husband do it, do it with your other arm, whatever you need to do, because you got pins in there and I'm putting a soft cast on. I said, okay. When I came home, told him that, that didn't fly too well. Needless to say, in two weeks when I went back to have it tested or looked at and unwrapped, all my pins were protruding out of my arm. And he's like, I, my doctor was like, Dr. Mitchell, he said, I've never seen anything like this. He goes, Tina, why are the pins back out? They're supposed to be securing all your bones in place. He goes, have you been lifting? I said, I have to. Like, I started crying. I said, I have to. I said, I don't have any help. I have to bathe him. I have to pick him up. I have to change his diaper. I have to do everything. And he's like, that's okay. We just, we have to do the surgery again. So they had to go in, remove the pins, repin it, and put a hard cast on it. And he's like, now, if you pick them up, you should be okay because you have a hard cast on. He's like, but try not to, you know? I find it ironic that you, he doesn't want anybody in his house when this house was damn well yours. You bought it. You, got the, you paid the mortgage. It's in your name. I think it's ironic that he's sitting there saying, I don't want to entertain guests in his house. It was another one of those trigger words to remind you who's in charge yeah yeah well you know and then he took over everything like that literally that's all i ever did was work cook and clean and cook and i didn't have time to clean 
um, because I was taking care of Philip, you know, and then I had to get up and, you know, he would wake me up at two o'clock in the morning sometimes and tell me to cook him a meal. And then he's like, and clean house. This house hasn't been cleaned and I couldn't even tell you how long, but I would come home every day and it would be stacked with like water bottles and Philip would throw up and he'd leave it for me to clean up when I got home. Philip pulled pictures off the walls. He'd leave it. Busted glass and everything for me to pick up when I got home. The dog, he would not take the dog out to go to the bathroom, even though I put like a little fenced-in area, like right outside the door. I said, that's all you have to do is put her in there. Let her do her business. I'll rinse it off. You know? He wouldn't put her outside. So she would obviously pee and poo all over the house, and I'd have to come home and clean that up. He'd throw a paper towel over it or something. You know? And... So he would not help me. And I said, you sit at home all day. I said, can't you have dinner made? Can't you have the house clean? Can't you bring in a garbage bag and at least throw away your, like, you know, water bottles? And he's like, no, that's not up to me. You're the one that decided to have a child. You have to do it all. Almost like using that, like, as, like, a resentment. Yes, it was a punishment. Yeah, a punishment. It was a punishment. Yeah. Control. Mm-hmm. Again, it was control. Yeah, it literally was. Always reminding you that he has the final say of everything and you are just nothing. Yeah. But what he wants done. I can't imagine how just utterly exhausted you probably were during that time. You know, like... I was exhausted. Let's just put it this way. When I got locked up, when I wasn't crying, I was sleeping. Because I was exhausted. I was exhausted. I mean, my whole life, like, I never slept. I still don't sleep now to this day. I mean, it's like, I just, I can't, you know? It's like, because I was constantly on the move. And then at the time, you know, he's like, you're fat, you know? I said, I've just given birth to a child. I gained, like, 55 pounds. What do you want me to do? He's like, you need to go back to the gym. I said, when am I supposed to do that? He goes, well, maybe if you're lucky, I'll let you go back and exercise and I'll watch the baby. Well, that didn't work out. So what he ended up having me do was I would work all day. I would come home, make him dinner. He would go to the gym. He would come home. I'd make him another meal. Then I'd make him another meal at 2 o'clock in the morning. Then I would lay down for a couple hours and then get up at 5 o'clock in the morning to go to the gym and work out, get ready at the gym, and go into work after that. Because the baby's sleeping. He's sleeping. So it's like I'm not interrupting his time because... Philip was sleeping through the night. So, um, yeah, that went on for months. Um, so I was exhausted. I didn't get any sleep. You know, I just didn't. And I had a Mazda at the time, and I crashed that because I was sleep-deprived. <laughs> My reflexes were so slow at that point, and um, I rear-ended, well, I rear-ended somebody and smashed the car all up. And, of course, that was my fault. And, you know, and he wouldn't get rid of the car. It was crumpled up mess in the garage. And I said, what are you going to do with this car? Like, are you going to have it towed? Are we going to have it fixed? He goes, no, I'm going to leave it parked there as a reminder to you that you ruined it. You know, and I'm like, ugh. If I wasn't so tired, I wouldn't have ruined it. And you were on the phone with me. I said, calling me nonstop. When are you going to be home? When are you going to be home? <laughs> you know, and that's what he did. He, he controlled 
even my trips home from work to the point where it's like I was either speeding and getting speeding tickets or um, he would accuse me of like talking to the girls or meeting men or, you know, and I literally, and I still have them in my phone to this day. I'd have to take pictures of the traffic I was sitting in and shoot it to him to, to, like prove, that to prove that's yeah. where I was because he was so quick to be like, you know, I know you're just sitting there, you know, you don't want to come home. You're on my time now, my time. You remember that. I remember seeing you. We worked in the same area mm-hmm. and I would remember seeing her uh-huh. and she'd be a car over and you'd be, you know, cause we, I, we had to not be friends so she could be safe. So I remember seeing her and being so excited seeing her and then just looking at her face and nothing. Because I could see just the look. Two cars over on M59 just sitting there and I could see just the pure tension in her face. I was so afraid to come home every night. I was so afraid to. I mean, I just, I didn't know what I was going to walk into. I didn't know, you know, it's like. And it was written all over your face when I'd see uh, it and there's nothing I I could do. Nothing. It has to be hard for you, too, watching her go through that and knowing you can't help. Yeah, I remember coming home and telling my husband, crying, that I can't handle this. And my husband would say, I'll go over and I'll handle it. I remember him saying that numerous times. And it said, I remember him telling me, and I told you, that he said it's funny how he would always pick on the downtrodden, someone that was, he felt lesser, but... I, my husband's a big, big one. He's six foot six, and if he came over here, I'm sure Mike wouldn't have known what to do because he was not, you know, helpless. Right. Such yeah. as Tina. She was tiny, tiny. Yeah. I mean, shockingly tiny. She I wasn't was so tiny thin. enough, though. You know. Oh my God! It was that all started. shocking to see. How yeah. So when Philip got tiny. old enough and he was walking and stuff, you know, he would make us walk six miles. Philip, his little legs, walking six miles every day. Didn't matter what kind of weather. It's like Tina, get out there, get your exercise. You're getting fat, you know. And I'm like, oh, I wasn't allowed to eat anything. So, like, a lot of times, you know, I'd make him, like, chicken and stuff, you know. If he saw me, like, you know, take a piece of it or whatever, it's like, mm, you know, no, it didn't happen. So, I literally, like, could not eat because he told me I needed to lose, like, I needed to be 115 pounds. 115 pounds. And if you guys have ever seen any of the pictures from when I was, like, arrested and in trial and stuff, I was skinny. I was really shocking. skinny. Yeah. Like shocking. It was bad. Skinny. Yeah. Um, because I was not small enough for him. And he'd buy me clothes and he'd make me buy a size two and then tell me that I could only wear it after I got down to that size. And he would keep it in his closet. Wow. That's how he was. Oh, that's you know? Funny. So. There's always yeah. tidbits I find out that. Yeah, it's just, it was bad. I mean, there were times where it's like, his mood would just turn on a dime. I mean, it's just one minute, he's he's fine, and he's, you know, talking about something, and the next minute, he's just punching you. Like, I couldn't even tell you how many times my head hit this these cabinets, or how many times my nose has been broken, or the dent over there in my fridge is from the week everything happened here because he hit my head into the fridge you know so 
Um, he broke off my tooth. I mean, I remember I broke something. It was this wrist. And I walked in, and one of the guys I was training, Trevor, he looked at me, and he goes, he goes, you can tell me whatever you want, Tina. He goes, I know he did this. He goes, I know he did this. And he goes, and I'm going to go over there and I'm going to kick his ass. And pardon my French, but that's what he said. I said, no, 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 don't do that. That's not what happened. You know, of course, I'm making this, you know, I'm saying this because I didn't want him to get hurt or go over there. Um, you know, but he knew. He knew. And I never said anything to him, but he just knew. All right, guys. Well, that is where we're going to leave off on Tina's story for part one of three. Uh, but before we leave you, we did have uh, a few more questions that we wanted to ask Tina. Um, so Lo reached out to her and asked her a few questions just that, you know, of course we thought of after we spoke with her and um, just a few things that might you guys might want to know or might clear uh, any confusion or questions up. Um, so yeah, Lo will read those to us now. Okay, so Tina left us with so much information and such a long story, and she did a beautiful job telling it. Um, it didn't dawn on me until a while later, after re-listening to it, we found we had a couple of questions we wanted to ask her. So, so I reached out again to talk to Tina, and she graciously um, answered some questions. And one of the big ones I was curious was... She talks a lot about the pregnancy with Philip in this episode, and I was very concerned on if any abuse had happened while she was pregnant. And she did reply, and she did say, he did not abuse me during the pregnancy, best nine months of our relationship, but it started after Philip was born. He was resentful of me having the baby and said, because I chose to have him, I need to do everything myself because I had the chance to get rid of him and I chose not to. He hated the crying, hated the babbles. I had to keep him quiet 24-7 and still wait on him hand and foot. So again, that's just so heart-wrenching to hear. That's a precious baby. That's a gift. That's an angel. And honestly, I did tell her through our text messaging, I do feel like Philip was an angel that was born because in a sense, I feel like he saved Tina's life. Absolutely. And then she does talk about how she had a sister. Actually, she has two of them. She was close with both of them. Um, her oldest sister, Becky, or older sister, Becky, because she's the oldest of all three daughters um, did pass away and I was just kind of curious of which one passed and we just wanted to say you know sorry for the loss of having to deal with your sister through all of this and just make sure that there was a little peaceful prayer and shout out to her sister Becky and after talking to her it kind of came up unexpectedly but she is doing a thing called freedom and justice for all and it is going to be in Lansing September 30th 3 to 5 on the Capitol steps and there is 
there's going to be a live speech and Tina is going to talk about her experience and survivor surviving um, the domestic violence and also probably surviving you know the 20 months that she had to spend in prison I'm not exactly sure all the details it's going to entail but anyone who wants to tune in and hear her story and show support of her um, that'll be September 30th from 3 to 5. All right, guys. Well, um, thank you so, so much for tuning in. Um, this was, in my opinion, such an incredible episode. And there's more to come. We have two more parts for you. So be sure to come back next week for part two um, where Tina just you know, dives more into everything that happens. Um, it's definitely worth coming back and listening to. So we will see you guys then. And also real quick, there is help always available. Please remember that. And you can call 1-800-799-7233. You can text 88788 or text START to 88878. And it has over 200 different languages. So if the language barrier is not strong, they will find somebody that can help communicate with you. But just remember, you are never alone. There is a way out. There is so many people like her and like you that can help each other. And there it's, again, 1-800-799-7233. Please call the number if you are in any kind of need or help. Reach out. You're not alone. Never. So on that note, until next week, we gots to go. Stay creepy, guys. Bye. Bye.